some years ago, uh, before our son Noah was born, uh, Emmeline was doing an open university uh, degree in environmental studies. And together we would often watch videos concerning such lovely topics as road building, coal mining, and the, uh, the construction of dams in Africa. Very informative, not much use. One of the social studies papers she also had to read, um, she passed my way for an opinion. Written in the 1960s, it was actually about opinions and how we form opinions and how those in power canvass the wider population prior to decision making. How they explore options, how they discover what the public think and then how that then leads them into action. It told of how consultations were actually part of a wider spectrum of what we might consider our consultations. Consultations were in fact painted in a very poor way in the spectrum of how to canvas the right opinion for the outcome for the people. They give limited options to the public. For example, if you were to build a bypass around a village, would you want route A or route B? Which one do you want? the winning result would be published as the most popular choice available. Of course, that there might have been a third option that might have cost a bit more but wasn't put into the consultation because it would cost too much. Wouldn't be mentioned. Nor would perhaps the idea of not having the bypass at all. Because that might actually, in some cases, be what the local people want. They want to keep the high street vibrant and alive. And so they don't want the tourist traffic pushed elsewhere. The thing, of course, is that we generally assume that public opinion is right. And it isn't always right. The public might get what they want, but it's not always the right outcome. The people at the end of the passage today want to get rid of Jesus. It puts this down to them being afraid. Afraid of the power that is in Jesus. The power 
that has been revealed to them by the fact that the man who was tormented by the legions of demons has been healed. He's been restored. He's sat there being normal. Even with clothes on, we discover. I don't know where the clothes suddenly came from. Whether the disciples had taken spare set with them in the boat, whether Jesus had said, okay, Peter, let's have something off you, and something came off somebody else. But there he is. He's clothed. He's saved from where he was. There is perhaps another reason, something else that they are afraid of. Because Jesus has just cost them a herd of pigs. The demons are cast out. And they go into the pigs. And the pigs die as they drown in the lake. What value is placed on the man's healing? Would you rather have a herd of pigs and a demon-possessed man? Or a man who was demon-possessed and no more pigs? value is put on his life. Those uh, those pigs seem to um, carry out what uh, what we we imagine um, is what lemmings do. You know, but the the 1958 Disney film White Wilderness, um, they staged the lemmings jumping over the cliff. It wasn't the local type of lemming. Um, they imported them in and chucked them out of, back of a back of a truck. It's not the common behaviour of a lemming. But myths develop. And what the public think and what the public value is not always right. Their knowledge of truth and value is not always good. And so there's a question mark over that sense of being afraid and what has happened here. Jesus brings change into lives. 
Quite why he journeyed to this area in the first place, we don't know. Why he's gone to a Gentile area east of Galilee is unclear. He does visit Gentile areas from time to time. We remember him heading north to Tyre and Sidon as well. But to this area with the pigs, which of course being a Jew he wouldn't normally associate with, he goes. And on the journey there, a storm blew up. What's happened immediately before this is an episode where the disciples are slightly panicky. They're worried about their lives. But they get Jesus and he rebukes the storm, the wind and the wave, duly obey. So the disciples have just seen Jesus' power over nature. But in driving out the demons, he reveals he also has power over evil. If we were to carry on reading, we would see that he has power over death. Because what follows on from this episode with the demon-possessed man is Jairus' daughter. But he's not there yet. We are in the area of the Gerasenes. An area where the people have tried to exert power over the possessed man. They have historically tried to chain him up. They have used human ways of dealing with the situation. They have placed him under guard. But it's insufficient. And he's simply broken the chains which have physically bound him. Sometimes human ways, the ways that we can do it, the ways of the world, just don't work. But Jesus comes on the scene and he brings a new release. He is able to break the spiritual binding upon the man's life. He will cast out the demon. There are things that sometimes take control over our lives. Maybe not a demon, 
But there can be things that bind us and constrict our life. Maybe it's our personal self-image, what we think of ourselves, how able we feel we are able to respond to different situations, how capable we are of doing things, maybe even what God thinks of us. Does he really love me? We might question ourselves. Among young people, it might include that concept of body image. I think as we grow older, it maybe doesn't affect us quite so much. But there is among some that still sense that there is a perfection to behold. A cosmetic appeal that is brought on by photoshopped images in the media. An understanding that people are going to try and conform to them even though it would be impossible to achieve. For some people it is an addiction to a drug. Maybe it's a legal drug, alcohol, or cigarettes, or maybe an illegal substance. The National Crime Survey that's carried out each year, the, the, or every other year, is the 2017-2018 National Crime Survey showed one in 11 people, that's 9% of the population, of those aged between 16 and 59, so that's the main bulk of adulthood, for the most part, 9% of 16 to 59-year-olds had taken an illegal drug in the previous year. And for those aged 16 to 24, it's 19.8%, nearly one in five, taking illegal drugs. And there's other addictions too, gambling, pornography, maybe an addiction to the love of possessions. And these might lead to debt. Now, of course, many things may lead to debt. And that takes a great hold over people, as we know from the work that's done with uh, CAP, Christians Against Poverty. In the first quarter of this year, 350 people were declared bankrupt each day. Debt, it takes hold of people and eats them and uh, destroys their life. But whatever 
it is that might take hold of us, something legal, something illegal, something that is brought on by our circumstances or by our health. God still loves you. Whoever you are, whatever has happened in your life, You cannot change that amount of love that God already has for you. It's deep. You can't cause God the Father to love you more. To love you any more than he already does. See in the story, the love that Jesus has towards the man that's demon-possessed. He doesn't say, oh, well, wait a minute. Once you've got rid of that demon, then I'll love you. He shows love straight away. And even listens to the demons. That's one of the fascinating bits in the story. The demons are pleading, don't send us into the abyss. The demons are pleading, send us into those pigs. And that's what Jesus does. God has... In Jesus, has love for that man. And love for, for the circumstances that he's in. And he brings a freedom. And having done that, the man gets clothed and has a new life. And quite rightly, the man in the passage is a bit ecstatic, isn't he? He delights in what's happened. He longs to journey onwards with Jesus. To say, can I get in the boat with you? When Jesus is going, he wants to travel along. But Jesus says no. Go and tell your own people. Go to your home. Tell the story. Speak of what God has done. And so the man goes on. The man goes away. He goes all over the town. And he speaks of what has happened. Though as he does that, he puts the emphasis on Jesus. And in that little bit, in those last few words of the passage, it's an interesting tweak, isn't there? 
gives us that hint that the man who had been demon-possessed speaks of the man Jesus having done the thing. And Jesus' direction is to point towards the Father, just as he so often does. Go and tell people about God. How God has done this. How it is God within Jesus. So of course it's a message that we need to take on board too. For each one of us that knows the Lord. Has a story to tell. Maybe it's a story that we have that's not quite so as exciting or as powerful as the story of demons being cast out of a man into a herd of pigs and the pigs then going running into the lake. But each believer does have a story of how God has loved us, how he's forgiven us, how he's given us new life. And so each one of us should take on board that that message given to the man to go to our home and tell the story of what God has done. And that in some ways brings us back to where we started. It takes us into that world that has its own opinions has its own values has its settings of what it thinks is right and of course what we know today is that the wider population is quite detached from the truth of our faith It was estimated uh, seven years ago that by next year, by 2020, only 4% of the population of the UK will be Christians who regularly attend church. And we might want to see that number changed. Hopefully. Hopefully. We might want to see people's lives being turned around against the popular tide, against that thing about, oh, well, the majority of people think this, so we'll live this way. The trend will only reverse. If we, with passion, take on that message to go to our home and beyond to our neighbours and tell the story of what God has done. To speak of the greatness of God and his ability to change 
to heal, to bring new life. Because we have a God who loves. Amen.